mum, Carol, and she did a wonderful job of laying the foundations of mercy in this community. Um, I've been overseeing it for, this will be the sixth year, and we are open four mornings a week from 10 to 12. What we offer is we have free food parcels for people in crisis, we give away free bread and bakery items. We do our four mornings plus three mornings here. So every day of the week we've got free bread. We sell clothing for $2 or less. We give it away sometimes. We have a free morning tea, so cakes and sandwiches and all sorts of yummy things that I shouldn't eat is there. And we have a lot of people that come and just share food with us the days that we're open. The type of people that come... Um, are all different walks of life. So the people that come for our emergency food are people who are in crisis at that point in time. So that's people ranging from they've just become homeless. It could be women and children who've escaped domestic violence and they're starting their lives over, which we've seen an increase of the last year or so. We have families that are just struggling to keep up with the cost of living, people who've just lost their jobs, pensioners. We've had refugees in at times. Just people in all sorts of scenarios that just need a bit of a hand. We have people that come for our morning tea every day that we're open. So we find that they're people who aren't in physical poverty but are in relational poverty. And they just want to go somewhere where they're welcomed and, and allowed to be themselves. So we have people come to that with intellectual impairments um, or mental illness and people that are just lonely. Um, we have people that come and buy our clothing. On Saturdays, it's fill a bag of clothes for $5, which is a bargain. Our clothing is all donated, and we sell or give away around 7,000 items a year, and where that helps our funding. So I have some wonderful ladies who sort clothing and just sort and sort and sort, because it tends to just explode in the back area. We're funded through our annual um, Thanksgiving offering that we'll have in June and through grants. I do lots of writing to ask people to give us money. We also do food drives in the community and we get our bread donated from Jacob's Bakery at Brendale and Aspley and he's been doing that for 14 years. He's a wonderful man, Barry. And we also get food donated from a place called Oz Harvest and that's an organisation that redistributes excess food. So twice a week we have a delivery of fruit and veg, sometimes meat, sometimes dairy products. And we just pass that along to the people that come. Now we're run by volunteers, so we have around 35 at the moment. That includes the people who collect the bread. Um, we, as you guys, some of you guys will know, we have wonderful family that come down from Gympie one night a week to collect bread at Aspley, deliver it to the Mercy Centre and then drive home because they feel very strongly about God's work of mercy. We have volunteers that just sort clothing, we have volunteers that help put together the parcels, and then we have our volunteers that come in the mornings and help out. So I get to work with lots of great people. So today I wanted to talk about mercy and what place that has in your life, and how we walk that out. We throw this word around at church a lot, mercy, usually accompanied by grace, and there's a reason for that, it's because those things are vital for who we are in Jesus. Simply put, grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. From a child's perspective, grace is like receiving a present when it's not your birthday and mercy is not being punished when you've disobeyed your parents. That's a really simple kind of way to understand how they work. Now, if we could think about a world without mercy for a second, 
what that would look like. That's a world that's all based on truth, where we all get exactly what we deserve for our choices and actions. So think about the moments you have when you're not at your best, when your sinful nature or your unresolved wounds or your protective mechanisms, they react to relationships and circumstances around you and you just behave badly. Now, there are moments that none of us are proud of and we all have them. I'm grateful that we have mercy because I wouldn't want to live my life without it. We're all willingly and happily receive mercy from the Father and from each other. And the reason for that is when we mess up, we want someone to show that mercy towards us. And we are loved by God that shows us mercy over and over and over. So why does mercy have so much value and why are we specifically called into having a merciful heart? The first reason is that mercy forms the basis of all healthy and helpful relationships. When you think of your relationship with Jesus, it's based on a foundational truth, that he went to the cross for you so you wouldn't receive the consequences of a life based on sin. Without the great sacrifice that occurred for us, we would spend eternity cut off from love. You think of other relationships in your life, your parents, your children, spouses, workmates, neighbours, friends. The application of mercy as being a foundation for those relationships is just as relevant as the mercy that's between us and the Father. We all walk around with some kind of wounding been doing social work for 19 years and have seen you know, such damage caused by child abuse, violence, people being abandoned, living in institutions, people being tortured, pain on all fronts. Everyone has some experience in childhood that um, affects who we are and that continues as we, we become adults. We have experiences that causes damage. So deep brokenness is often caused by relationship but healing from that brokenness will only occur within the context of relationship as well. So extending mercy to people gives a place for that relationship to grow and to be a vessel of healing. Not reacting to someone as the world normally would, it gives room for gentleness and softening of people towards truth. Now, Isaiah 58 talks a lot about how mercy is walked out in relationships. So I'm just going to read that through from chapter 6. Is, this, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called... Repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. 
Now we'll come back and look at that scripture again, but for now I just wanted to look at verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Now, the repair of broken walls and the restorer of streets with dwellings has got capital letters in it. And that's because it's something that is really important and something we need to pay attention to. How much of our wounding in life is caused by generational sin, generational patterns? How much unhealthy conditioning that we live under is caused by wrong emotional foundations being laid? If you think about a derelict house being repaired, once it's done, it can be lived in again, so it has life inside of it. If you think about a whole bunch of houses that are restored, restore of streets with dwellings, this brings life and community. And this is why God wants us to grasp a hold of this so dearly is because when we extend mercy, when we walk life out with people, not only do they have opportunity to fall in line with what Jesus wants for them, but all the stuff that's been laid in them that's wrong, that's damaging, that's wounded them, can be corrected and be rebuilt, including in ourselves. So mercy is essential to the formation of relationships that bring both life and community. It repairs ruins and foundations in people's lives. Now the second reason why mercy is so important is because it allows the introduction of truth. Think about how you came to know Jesus. Was it from a random person just telling you about the gospel or was it from a friend or a family member or someone that walked life with you for a while, shared with you what Jesus had done for them and shared with you what he could do for you? Generally, that's how we come to know God. We come through relationship with others. Once that relationship is established, it allows for truth to be spoken. And I've said this before, and I will say it again, because this is what the Mercy Centre operates from, that people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. People don't care about the goodness of God and what we have to offer them until they know that we're authentic and we care about them and what truth we have to give them. Not only do we get to share with them that they are loved, accepted and valued by the King, but we have opportunity to speak other life-giving truths into their life. What I mean by that is in the Mercy Centre, when we spend some time with people, they understand that we're authentic, they understand that we're not judging them, we get opportunity to talk about things like parenting, about things like budgeting, about things like how to live a successful adult life. Like I said before, the people that come there and the people not only in the Mercy Centre but all around us are people that are wounded. We all have gaps in who we are and Jesus can fill those gaps but it only comes through relationship with him and with others. So when we've established relationship, we're given permission to speak truth into people's lives. Not only practical ways but the emotional and physical healing that God has for them as well. Think about what Jesus has done for you over the course of your life. If I opened the floor up now, we would have story after story after story. Physical healing, provision of finances and resources, freedom from illness, a community around you to do life with, so much good stuff. Miracles happen. We've seen that here. People be released from anger and unforgiveness. Why would we want to keep this to ourselves? Philippians 2 says, Therefore... 
If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. We are asked by God, if you've gotten anything good out of relationship with me, pass it along. This is the freedom that we have to give it away. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 simply says, We love because he first loved us. We are called to give away what we have first received from a loving father. And why should the church be involved in acts of mercy? Why should we as followers of Jesus extend mercy in our own spheres of influence? Whenever there's antisocial behaviour that happens around the place, it's on the news, it's on the radio, we talk about it at barbecues. Just think back to, I think it was last week, those women that assaulted the Indigenous man on a bus at the Gold Coast. And how do people respond to that? Somebody should do something about this. They need to do something about whatever the problem is, domestic violence, homelessness, family breakdown. Well, guess what? We're the somebody and we are the they. We've got amazing truths to share with people and they are best delivered via mercy. So the third reason why mercy is so important is because it transforms both the receiver of it and the giver of it. If we look back at Isaiah 58, verses 8 to 9 talks about what happens when we give ourselves over to mercy. It says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Now it's not a case of do these things and everything's going to be great in your life. It's about engaging in the community and how that benefits us as well as the people that we work with. It's about understanding that the identity that we have in Christ, to look to the interests of others, that will teach you about sacrificial love. You ask any of the Mercy Centre volunteers and they will tell you what they gain out of volunteering. Often we get far more than what we give. Things like you become more outward looking. That helps with inner discontent. We learn to appreciate provision that we have in our own life and not to lose energy and time stressing over small things. It encourages our faith greatly when God provides for the people that come. We often have situations where random items are donated and I look at it and go, I don't know what, who's going to want that? And then someone walks through the door and asks for it for like the first time ever and we happen to have that item there. I had a situation once where someone donated some baby formula and it was a strange brand that I'd never heard of. It was for lactose intolerant children who were also allergic and it was a very specific Brands. I thought, oh well, we'll just put that in the cupboard. And that week, a young mum came in and said, I have a baby and she needs this formula and do you happen to have any? And I was like, well, we just have some in the cupboard. Last year we had a, um, a walker donated that an, an older person had bought in with wheels on it. 
and it was big and bulky and I thought, oh, great, something else we have to find room for. And by the end of that morning, someone came in and said, I really need a walker because my wife has injured herself and we were like, well, we've got one here. So that's, you know, just those little things encourages us and our faith as we see God working that out in people. Now I want to look um, at a question that I'm often asked in regards to the Mercy Centre because it's a valid one. So what about those people that need food but smoke? They don't deserve food. And it's okay. That's a reasonable question to ask. And it speaks to the notion of truth in relationship. Sometimes people feel like they have to choose one or the other, mercy or truth. If relationships are all based on truth, it's all about judgment. There's learning because truth is our teacher, but the risk that there is there that the love has no place in that relationship. If it's all based on mercy, it's all love, and the risk is no learning occurs because truth isn't given any room to move. And this can you know, alienate people from stepping out into what God has for them. So the answer obviously is imbalance. Truth delivered in the context of mercy has the greatest effect for the kingdom. Does that mean that we have no boundaries at the Mercy Centre and we let everybody do whatever they want? Well, the answer is no. We have limits on how often we give people food. So sometimes I say no to people's requests because we have limits in our resources. However, I might talk to them about a conversation about how they're going with their money management. They're not stupid. They know if they smoke, they're not going to have enough money for food. But at that point in time, that's where they're at, so that's where we accept them. Now, I want you to think about like your worst habit, the thing that you struggle with the most, and everybody has something. What would be more effective if someone come up and said, stop doing that, see you later? Or if someone came up and said, oh, look, I noticed this. How's that going for you? How, how does that affect your daily life? You know, I struggle with stuff too. Did you want to talk about that? Can I pray for you? And that's the difference. That's the balance. Many of our Mercy Centre people are wounded, as I said. They lack cognitive, emotional, relational maturity, usually through no fault of their own. We do life with them, not for them. We don't do things for them, we don't do things to them, we do things with them. So we're side by side with them. We don't judge them for their addiction. We accept them for who they are and seek to establish relationship with them. And we don't judge them because you may not smoke or abuse alcohol or use drugs, but every single one of us has something that we use to numb ourselves with at times. We have something we use that replaces dependence on God. And sometimes it's things that are very socially acceptable. Shopping, exercise, movies, food, whatever it is, there's something we all engage in. So it's not our place to come down on people and just say, you shouldn't be doing this. We build relationship first and that gives us opportunity then and permission to speak into their lives. Now this truth thing at times, it can be a bit hard. At times I have to have Conversations with people, honest conversations about their choices, their consequences, what may happen if they choose things. But truth is a powerful teacher and I would be shortchanging people if I didn't give them an opportunity to learn about what Jesus has for them. It's all about delivering it in a way that's non-judgmental and not shaming of people. 
Now, some of you will be sitting here today thinking, Nikki, it's all, you know, that's all well and good, but I don't have time to fit something else into my life. Something else that I should be doing to be a good Christian. We sometimes fall into the wrong thinking that there is a list of behaviours, habits, rituals, rules that we need to do to be a Christian. But when we reduce our understanding of Jesus down into that narrow perspective, it fills us with a false sense of safety and control that if we check everything off the list that we're okay and we're in with God. The good news is I'm not asking you to add another thing to your life when you're already busy. The awesome thing about God is that he has a unique path for you that suits your circumstances, your abilities, your skills, your commitments. All we have to do is ask. Now there's a TV show that Ash and I like to watch called Grand Designs and it's about different people who take on a building project. So whether that's restoring a barn or extending on a house or building a completely new house. Now the host of the show, Kevin MacLeod, has a favourite word which he says incessantly, which is bespoke. I like saying it too, bespoke. It means a custom-made item that's been made specifically as a once-off for that individual. So think of you buying a new dining suite for your house. Now you've got a choice. You can go to Ikea and buy a flat pack, take it home, putting up. Not bagging out Ikea. I know there's passionate Ikea supporters here today. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. It does the job. The other alternative is you can hire someone to build you something that completely suits your needs, your family. God has more for us than a one plan fits all for all of our lives. He has a bespoke plan, one that suits where you're at in life. The key is to ask him about what that looks like, and he will tell you. And he's a kind and gentle and loving father. He's not going to drop something on you that's going to be horrible and unmanageable. He's, he's ready. He's ready to take us into his arms and just share with us what his heart is for us. So what could this bespoke Mercy Centre plan look like? Mercy plan, not Mercy Centre. Although if you want to volunteer, I won't say no. Now, Mercy is really easy to give away to both people we like and people who are like us. It's really easy to love on our friends and on people who have a similar life and a similar outlook on us. It's not hard at all. But God calls us to stretch ourselves and be open to different types of people and different types of relationships. Don't freak out. You don't have to rush out and befriend every homeless person in Pine Rivers, unless God tells you. That's fine. So let's look at Isaiah 58 for some inspiration as to what God might um, encourage you to be a part of. So he, in, in Isaiah 58, there's a whole bunch of um, things that, a mention there about what we can do. So loosen the chains of injustice. You might want to support an organisation like Destiny Rescue that rescues and retrains girls overseas from the sex industry. Untie the cords of the yoke. That could just be praying with someone who's wanting to be free of relational damage in their life. Spend an afternoon with the HOTS team. Set the oppressed free. Maybe that's volunteering at a local school, helping out in their reading program. The Lawton State School around the corner are doing some fantastic things to help the children in the area um, grow. And they have some great opportunities for people to be involved in. 
share your food with the hungry. Always happy for more volunteers in the Mercy Centre, so I'm unashamedly plugging that. People can come once a month. They don't have to come every week. They can even come whenever they feel like it. So come and talk to me if you're interested. But sharing your food with the hungry could just be inviting a neighbour over, have a cup of tea with them. It's not just physical hunger, though. We see every day in the Mercy Centre people that are hungry for relationship. They're saying, I'm ready to have a relationship in my life. And they simply ask God, you ask God, who do you want me to build relationship with? He doesn't expect you to be friends with every single person you ever meet. He will bring people into your life that are specifically there for you to engage with. It's just walking life with them. Now, as Kirk said, we've got the barbecue next weekend, and that super easy way to um, share your food with the hungry. Bring some food, have a look at the list, see what's needed. And at the barbecue, if you see someone you don't know, come and sit with them and say hi. We strongly and um, we pursue the people in the Mercy Centre, come along to the barbecue. And the last one we had, we had significant jumps in relationship with some of the people that came that we've continued to build on in the Mercy Centre. And there was a guy that came and he's like, you people are like normal. You know, it's just that opportunity that we're saying, come along, sit with us, talk with us. It's doing life with people instead of doing life for people. Isaiah 58 talks about providing the poor wanderer with shelter. You can support Tear Australia in their work with refugees. You could be completely radical and invite a homeless person into your home. We have. It's challenging. But there's people in this area that are sleeping in their cars and tents and down by the river. He talks about clothing the naked. Now, at the Mercy Centre, we have ladies that just come and sort. They're not up to the point where they're ready to sit and chat with people. Completely fine. They just come and sort the clothing down the back. There are so many people in our community that are vulnerable and ill-equipped to do life. And they're people that are naked, not physically, but relationally. So we have this opportunity, again, at, as church, we are the should, somebody should do something. We are the they. We can clothe them with God's glory, with his truth. Come along to the prayer meetings. Involve yourself in other organisations. There's a fantastic one in this area called Christians Against Poverty. And they go into people's homes, people that are completely, hugely financial mess, and they sit down with them and they have procedures they go through to help re-establish them in some kind of financial freedom. There's just so many ways that we can walk life with people. Now, this is a hard one. In Isaiah 58, do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Are there family members that God's calling you into a merciful relationship with? It's one that can be really challenging because we hold on to our need for justice. Remember, mercy is not about ignoring negative or damaging behaviours. Truth is our teacher. So mercy doesn't negate consequences for actions. It doesn't do away with boundaries. Mercy doesn't automatically ensure ongoing relationship with people who are damaging or not interested at all in engaging with you. What mercy is, is about letting go of the debts that you feel are owed to you. And then truth can be delivered. Mercy is about being free of unforgiveness in these family relationships. And I know it's a super challenging area. 
But even those family relationships which seem unredeemable can be restored when they are washed by mercy. Isaiah 58 talks about doing away with the pointing finger and malicious talk. This is about the communities that we live in, that we work in, that we function in, living in a way that brings honour to our Heavenly Father. It says to spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry. God's calling us to put in some effort and ask him to lead you to the hungry in your spheres of influence, the people that are physically hungry, emotionally hungry, relationally hungry and spiritually hungry. Give yourselves over to this work. Satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Who are the oppressed in your community? Do you know? Understand what their needs are and be all in in your pursuit of helping people satisfy their needs when they're oppressed. We don't know what to do for Jesus until we know who we are in him. And this is where that foundational mercy is so important. Understanding who we are, who are people that are called into mercy, makes it a lot easier for us to know what to do. Now there's some barriers at times to how we walk out mercy in our lives. So there's just three that I've come across over and over in myself and in others. The first one is fear. So the enemy will tell you that you've got nothing to offer anyone and if you try this mercy thing, you're going to fail. The enemy hates works of mercy because he knows how effective it is when we invite people into relationship with God and to his life-transforming truth. So let me reassure you that you absolutely have something to offer. Not only that, but you are filled with God's strength. So through you, God has so much to offer. We find the Mercy Centre over and over. People just want someone to listen to them and not judge them. They don't want to have to negotiate life alone. What you can offer someone at the very basic is simply a listening ear. The other thing you can offer them is shared emotions. What I mean by that is when I first started in social work, the very first client I ever worked with was a 12-year-old girl who prostituted herself. And this was in the Moreton Bay region. At that time, I was unmarried, I was living at home, I had a very boring life. So I asked God, what could I possibly have to offer her? We are completely different. I've done none of the things that she has. I don't know what it's like to be in her shoes, so what's our point of connection? And it's normal to kind of see people that are different from yourself and think, wow, I don't know what to talk to them about. I've got nothing to share. They're kind of different from me. It's a bit weird. So it's understandable to be afraid. But what God said to me, and it was such a, such a gift that he gave this to me right at the start of my career, was that he said that you're never going to experience everything that all your clients have to offer. Your point of connection is not going to be shared experience where you can say, oh yeah, I've been through that. I haven't been homeless. I haven't been in a violent relationship. I haven't used substances. What my point of connection is and what yours is is shared emotions. You know what it's like to be lonely, to be rejected, to be overwhelmed, to be confused, to be afraid. You don't have to experience everything that everybody else has to be connected with them. It's not saying, I know what you're going through, because if you haven't, it's patronising and pointless. It's about sharing, well, there's been a time in my life where I've felt rejected, or I've felt alone, or I've been terrified. 
and this is what the Father did for me. Mercy travels on the back of our testimony and every one of us has a testimony of God's goodness in our lives and that transforms people's lives because they are desperate for good news. They get up every day, people that are drowning in debt, people that are living on the streets, people that don't have enough food to feed their children, they have to say to their kids, I can't feed you. They want to come somewhere where they have someone that says, oh, I've got some good news for you. And they receive that. Now the second barrier to mercy is if you haven't first received mercy for yourself, you are going to have trouble giving it away to someone else. How can you give away love when you haven't been filled with it yourself first? How can you be non-judgmental towards others if you still live under condemnation of yourself? Now there's no fancy tricks to rectify this problem. It's simply asking the Father to show you how he feels about you and then choosing every day to accept that as truth. Now the enemy loves to say, well, God might say that. But how can he love you because you did this, this and this? And he tries that because it's a tactic that works really well for some people. But it's about us every day saying, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to choose not to take that as my truth. Now even in the church here there's a ministry called Sozo which is about a gentle guided conversation between yourself and the Trinity and looking at any barriers that you have in your life that stops the flow of God's unconditional love into you. It's something you may want to check out if you're really struggling with understanding how much God truly deeply loves you. Now thirdly, a big barrier that I come across is unforgiveness. It's a totally understandable human reaction when you're wronged to be angry at someone and to hold on to that anger. But when truth takes precedence over mercy and the need to hold on to justice overrides compassion, it's difficult to have a merciful heart. Now forgiving someone is different from condoning excusing, pardoning or forgetting damaging behaviour. They are two separate things. It's about freeing yourself from that behaviour and its effect on your present and future life. And this is the area that we see so much in the Mercy Centre is people are broken and just huge gaps in who they are because this unforgiveness stays in them. And because we have that relationship that we've built with people, we have opportunity to pray with them. And it's awesome when I say to someone, can I pray for you? And they're like, sure. We just sit down, we have a bit of a pray, we talk about stuff and then they go. Completely just low risk, like Kirk says. We just walk life with them. So as I finish up today, there's three areas that I believe that God wants us to open up for ministry. The first is for anyone that has struggled to accept God's love and mercy for themselves. The second one is for anybody who wants prayer to heal up areas of unforgiveness in our lives. And the third is for anyone whose heart is stirred towards mercy but you're not quite sure how to work that out. So um, we might pray for some people today. Thanks, Nikki. Hey, let's just thank Nikki. <laughs> Along with those three um, 